This is the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. And I'm Chris Katolka. You know, we've been getting great feedback from our listeners about our programs. If you're not yet acquainted with our show or the Friends of Israel, visit foiradio.org to learn more. We've recently aired a wonderful series on the Gospels. You can listen to the entire series at foiradio.org. Today we're going to hear from Andy Cook, founder of Experience Israel Now Ministries, and he's going to share an amazing story of a location of the Bible and how powerful that location is in understanding the scriptures more. And then we're going to look at how Israel is going about getting rid of landmines, of all things, from their past wars. And then, of course, apples of gold. Before we welcome Andy Cook, Chris, tell us what's happening in Israel. Yeah, Israeli researchers have recently released their findings on an Arabic inscription from the 9th century A.D., The inscription, which is embedded on the wall of a mosque in the biblical city of Hebron, which is in the West Bank, references the Dome of the Rock, which currently sits on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, as the Rock of the Holy Temple, referring to the Jewish temples. Now, up until the 1960s, the Muslim community associated the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount with Jewish history, with the Jewish temples from the Bible. However, with the rise of Palestinian nationalism, any Jewish association with the city of Jerusalem is ignored or even sadly destroyed. History, however, proves that even Muslims in the past believed the Dome of the Rock that sits on the Temple Mount is the site where the Jewish temples once stood. Thank you, Chris. And now we welcome our special guest, Andy Cook, founder of Experience Israel Now. You know, the first time I stood at the gates of Hades, I thought, how in the world did I get out of seminary and not know that you could go to the gates of Hades? But you know, that's just another example of how the Bible's backyard, it's it's not our backyard. And Matthew thought that we knew all that was meant by that little detail he gave us in Matthew 16 when he wrote, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, you can, you can go there now with a lot of trouble as long as you're in Israel. Just travel north as far as you can go and still remain in the state of Israel. And there at a place known as Banyas today, you'll find what Jesus and the disciples knew as Caesarea Philippi. And it's an amazing place. I guess the the main characteristic that you immediately see is that this is the birthplace of the Jordan River. At, at the base of Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel, coming out of this enormous cliff is the Jordan River. I mean, just boom, it just starts. It's wide. It's clear. It's the most important river in all of Israel. You know, if not for the Jordan River, Israel would be a desert. So I guess you could say that it's the Jordan River that gives life to the land. Now, in the pagan religions of, of, of centuries ago, of many, many cultures ago, the ancient world saw this incredible phenomenon, this amazing mystery of the river's beginning, and, and they created a place of pagan worship there. You know, this is, they saw the river coming out of the cliff. They couldn't explain it. They knew it was vitally important. They turned it into a place where their gods would be worshipped. It was a perfect place to make up stories about make-believe gods. And what makes it even more profound is that if you go there today, you'll see a hole in the cliff. It's a cave, kind of a small cave today. But in centuries past, the river came out of the hole. The river came out of the cave. Now, an earthquake on New Year's Day in 1837 closed that Close that cave, but but you can still see it today. 
And it's easy to visualize how powerful it must have been to see the river just pouring out of the cave. Now to us, it's, it's simple geography. We understand how this could happen. To them, it was a great mystery. The stories that were born around that cave said that's where the gods would go down to Hades, down to hell. They would go down each winter, and it's the same doorway where they would return each spring, as long as you made the gods happy. Now, it's all nonsense, of course. But here's what's important for us. They called that hole in that cliff the Gates of Hades. And the things done at the Gates of Hades to get those gods, I think they're all demonic gods, to return each spring were the things of your nightmares. Imagine a night. Maybe it was pitch black dark. Maybe it was a night with a full moon. There, there would have been fires and drums, and then there were, the, there were the sacrifices. At first, it was only the goats they killed there, and the blood was spilled. But then it was, there came a season when there was child sacrifice practiced here. The in, infants died here. Babies died there in an effort to get these demonic, bloodthirsty gods to return from Hades. The worship of Pan was especially notorious there. Now, if you're familiar with the, the mythological gods, Pan is the god who is half man, half goat, and all evil. In fact, here, here's how they felt about it. Every time we use the word panic, we're reminded of how people felt when they maybe accidentally stumbled on the worship of Pan or they came upon it. They were, they were terrified. They were literally panicked. That's where the word comes from. It, Caesarea Philippi was, in short, the most evil corner of Israel. And Matthew thought we knew all of this when he's writing the story in Matthew 16. I mean, think about it now. It was here where Jesus took his disciples. That's where Jesus gave them those two questions. He asked them, who do, who do people say that I am? And you remember the disciples gave him some answers. They were all very complimentary. But then Jesus drew a line in the sand and asked them, well, who do you say that I am? So try to picture that scene, surrounded by statues and temples, celebrating the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the ancient pagan gods, with the gates of Hades. Right in the center of it all, Jesus said, well, this seems like a good place. I need to know, who am I? What will you decide? You've got all these choices. We're in a cafeteria of religion. So make your choice. Who do you say that I am? And it was Simon who stepped across the line. I mean, he was, the, he was really the first person in history to say, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think about that. that comment. He says the living God. Think about that. You know, all of these other gods are nonsense. All this other stuff is ridiculous. It's, it's terrible that it all went on. But Jesus, what we've come to know is you're the real deal. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus said, you're right, Simon. And I'm going to give you a new nickname. I'm going to call you the rock. That's what Peter means, you know. I'm going to call you, we would say today, Rocky. Great nickname for a guy. And, you know, we have known him as Simon Peter ever since. But, but think of this also. They were all standing on rock as this conversation takes place. They were looking at the biggest rock they had ever seen as Jesus asked them this, these questions. They were looking at a at this huge rock with a hole in the side, rivers coming out of it. They call it the Gates of Hades. The entire community was marked by rock temples, rock statues, rock columns. I mean, it's just rock, rock, rock everywhere. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the Gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 
And of all things, they were at this demonic place where people had been coming for centuries to see the gates of Hades. I, I mean, that, that just really stuns me, standing there, realizing how evil that place was and that Jesus was there. Uh, it, it was so evil, but yet he was there. It was so dark, but Jesus brought his followers there. It was absolutely hopeless at Caesarea Philippi, but people, you know, people were trying to follow every imaginable path to find God, and they were so lost. And I think Jesus was saying then, and through Scripture he's still saying to us now, you know, that's why we're here. You are going to be light in the darkness. You are the light of this very dark world. You are going to bring hope to places just like this. And if that frightens you, and of course it frightens us, Jesus still says, listen, the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. You remember, greater is he who is within you than he who is against you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And when you go to the darkest places of your culture, you will change the world. Andy, that was great. Folks, we are with Andy Cook, who is founder of Experience Israel. Now, Andy, great to have you on. Hey, thank you, Chris. It's awesome to be with you. Thank you for your ministry there at Friends of Israel. Andy, when you're talking about these these stories, what you're hoping to do and what you've done as I'm listening to you is you are are trying to bring to life the locations of the Bible. And and when you started, something really picked up right away. You said that why how come I you know, I went to seminary. Why didn't they explain this kind of stuff to me? It took going to Israel to see it for the first time to really have this passage make sense. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I like to tell people that there, there are secrets hidden in plain sight in the land of the Bible. You know, it's, when, when people make that trip to Israel, they come home, they say, you know, I'll never read my Bible the same way again, or that was the greatest trip of my life, or my life will never be the same. Um, certainly my faith will not be the same. And, and again, it's not my backyard. I mean, how... How else are we going to understand the geographical references and what difference it makes unless we are able to go there? But, you know, Chris, the the problem is most people can't go there. So that's why we're doing what we do to try to recreate that, bring those life-changing lessons to audiences everywhere. Yeah, as much as you can, you're really trying to bring Israel to people while they're sitting in the pew. Is that right? That's right. We use uh, a lot of visual resources, a lot of photographs, a lot of video clips. Uh, we use Google Earth. And do you know, this is, this is the profound thing about Google Earth. We all know Google Earth tells us, you know, really the truth about geography. You can find your house where you work, and you can go to Israel and find places that are in the Bible. But get this, Chris, and make sure you never, ever forget this. I cannot use Google Earth with any other religion. I cannot use Google Earth with any other religious text. But on the Bible, in the Bible, I can use it on almost every page. If it mentions a, a geographic reference points, we can go there. It, isn't that amazing? It's a really great resource for people to see the land of Israel and the biblical locations, too. Folks, Experience Israel Now creates unique video-driven resources for pastors, Bible study leaders, along with other uh, offering unique trips to Israel and things of that nature. Uh, Listen, if you're a pastor out there and you're listening, and this sounds like something you want to bring to your congregation— 
you want to be sure to check out experienceisraelnow.com, and you'll be able to find all the resources that Andy has for his ministry there at experienceisraelnow.com. And also, I want you to pick up his book, Secrets from Ancient Paths. You'll be able to do that right here at foiradio.org. It's a real great devotional on the biblical locations, bringing to life the locations of the Bible um, with beautiful pictures and sharing really encouraging and thought-provoking messages. Thank you so much for being on the program, Andy. Hey, my pleasure, and thanks for all you guys do at the Friends of Israel. You know, whenever I hear Andy speak, it makes me want to get on the next flight to Israel. Matter of fact, I was blessed to be on the Friends of Israel's Up to Jerusalem tour in March of this year, and I took a few photos of Caesarea Philippi where Andy was just talking about the gates of Hades. It's a remarkable place. You can see those photos in the show notes at foiradio.org. The setting of the Bible is vital to the stories of the Bible, but all too often we find ourselves glancing over the geography of the land because, as Andy likes to say, it's not our backyard. So when David writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come from in Psalm 121? Seeing those hills will change the way you interact with the psalm. In Andy's book, Secrets from Ancient Paths, you'll travel around Israel gaining insights into Scripture by experiencing the land of the Bible. This book is a collection of short stories wrapped around beautiful color photos of the Holy Land. Secrets from Ancient Paths would make an excellent family devotional or a gift to a friend. Visit foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940 to order your copy. In 1984, American exchange student Jerry White was studying at Hebrew University. And while he was there, he was attempting to learn some Hebrew. And as a Christian, he really wanted to engage with some of the stories of the Bible. And so one day, uh, he and some friends took a backpacking trip along the Banyas River in the Golan Heights, which is the area that we just heard of in the story from Andy Cook connected to Caesarea Philippi. So this area that uh, White and his friends are walking around in, they wanted to kind of follow the paths of the biblical prophets. So the group, as they're walking on this trail, decided to get a little adventurous and venture off the path. And as they were hiking in the uncharted territory, White stepped directly on a live landmine. The force of the explosion tore White's leg apart, and that landmine actually almost took Jerry White's life. It was placed there, they believed, almost 20 years earlier in the 1960s. The Golan Heights is the northernmost part of the state of Israel. It's a massive plateau that borders the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the country of Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. It's full of history from the Bible and history from the modern state of Israel. In fact, those plateaus and valleys once served as a major battleground for Israel and Syria in the 1967 Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War of 1973. Prior to 1967, Syria controlled the Golan Heights. After Israel was able to push the Syrians out in 1967 during the war, they captured the land for a buffer between Syria, and eventually they annexed the land in the 1980s. 
As a result, between the 1950s and 1960s, Syrians placed more than 1.2 million landmines around the area of the Golan Heights. They did this for protection. It's believed that there are hundreds of minefields scattered throughout the Golan Heights. And I can remember going my first time to the Golan Heights and being very surprised to see signs that say, keep out or danger live landmines. Now, after Jerry White's incident in 1984, he became influential in urging Israel to take action within their government to make sure they do something about cleaning up the landmines covering the vast areas of the Golan Heights. At that time in the early 2000s, the Israeli government wasn't really listening to White, uh, and they weren't really particularly interested in cleaning up the landmines since a Israeli comptroller in the 90s deemed that the minefields in the Golan Heights, they didn't, they didn't really pose as a national security threat for Israel. Israel's refusal to take action didn't stop Jerry White from continuing to pressure the government And sadly, in 2010, Daniel Yuval, an 11-year-old boy, uh, Israeli boy, was walking around the Golan Heights just like Jerry White was 15 years earlier. And while he was hiking, he stepped on a live landmine and lost his leg. Daniel's incident became national news in Israel, and eventually the 11-year-old boy became the face of mine removal. Daniel joined Jerry White in his endeavor urging the Knesset to clear the minefields, And in 2011, the Israeli government passed the Minefield Clearance Act. The new legislation gave way to the Israel National Mine Action Authority. The INMAA was was commissioned to create and implement the first national humanitarian demining plan. Since then, Israel has confirmed 53.5 square kilometers of area that need to be demined and an additional 72.5 square kilometers of suspected mined area. In a report that was submitted by the Mine Action Review in 2015, Israel has cleared more than 5.1 square kilometers of land from 2011 to 2014. Now, that might not seem like a lot of land covered especially when it's compared to other countries' uh, demining efforts. However, the demining authority argues their technique for finding and detonating landmines is more accurate and precise than other demining programs. Additionally, the demining budget restricts how much area Israel can actually cover per year. Last year, representatives from Colombia, the country of Colombia, visited Israel for demining training. The Colombian government recently signed a peace treaty with the Colombian guerrilla fighters after 50 years of fighting. And within the past 25 years, listen to this, more than 11,000 Colombians have been wounded or killed by landmines. Colombia chose to call on Israel because they believe their demining techniques are the most advanced and effective for eradicating this serious problem. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. One evening, as my family and I were returning home, two people stopped me and interrogated me. Who are you? One asked. We want to know all about you. Come to my home tomorrow evening. And who are you? We are from an anti-missionary organization, one replied. Then I'm sure you know all about me. 
We still want to speak with you, they insisted. So the next evening they came to my home and we received them as our guests. We want to tell you that you are our public enemy. You have left the religion of our fathers, therefore we hate you, one of them said. I replied, I will pray for you, that the Lord will have mercy upon you. What? he exclaimed. How can you say this when you want to kill us? No, I told him. I want you to have everlasting life. One replied, We want to know what you believe. I told them, I believe as you do. I believe in one God, one Father, and one Holy Spirit. He answered, We believe in one God and one Father in heaven, but not one Holy Spirit. This belongs to the Christians. Oh, I am glad you came here tonight. God has sent you to me because you are blind. But by the time you leave, your eyes will be open. I want to show you some things in the Holy Bible. I opened the Old Testament to places where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, such as Psalm 51 and 104 and 139 and Zechariah 12, verse 10. They could not believe their eyes. How can this be? We have never heard of this before. I spoke with them kindly, even though they hated me. They began to wonder why they were persecuting me, and they apologized. They could see my family, and I were very happy, and one asked, Why are you not afraid? You have children. Do you not fear for them? I then opened the New Testament and read Luke 21, verse 17. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. I said, I know in whom I have believed, and because I believe on the Lord, I am not afraid of anything you can do to me. Those whom you are persecuting are following God. Are you following him? I ask, what will you say about me in your report to your boss? What can we report to our boss? I answered, tell him what you heard and saw this evening. Tell him what is written in the Bible. He replied, before we go, please tell us if you are a Jew or a Christian. I said, before I was blind as you are now. But when I received the Lord in my heart, I became happy. Now I have a rich future and an established faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe on the same God as you, the one spoken of in the Holy Bible. If you want to know more about him, read Hebrews chapter 2. They quickly read it so they would know what to say to their boss. I have committed these people in the report to the Lord, and I know He will accomplish His will.
It was a joy to have Andy Cook on the program once again, and I'll remind you that we're selling Andy's beautiful hardcover devotional book, Secrets from Ancient Paths. Visit foiradio.org to order your copy, or you can call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. Write to us at FOI Radio, PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Or simply visit us at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Gallion, Mike Kellogg, Red Apples of Gold, and our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong, and I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. The Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry is supported by the generosity of people like you. Matter of fact, our ministry could not have existed since 1938 without Christians sensing the importance of what God is doing through the Friends of Israel. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting our ministry? You can find a donate link on our website to learn more about the ways you can partner with us. Again, that's foiradio.org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.